This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Sunday morning on WFAN, and good morning, everybody. Yep, it's Father's Day morning. As a matter of fact, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, including Rick Wolf, who will be along with the Sports Edge program after our 8 o'clock update. Now, hopefully, Rick is also going to, because I know he listens to this program on his way in, not get terribly confused and possibly turn around and go back home when he hears one of the guests who's joining us in this hour of our program. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we move into a discussion about a topic that is very important, the topic of prostate cancer. And appropriately enough in doing that, we have two guests who are joining us on our program, one of whom, well, let's say, I guess I'd have to refer to him as a kind of shy retiring individual who also will be along talking baseball after our nine o'clock update. Ed Randall is uh, joining us uh, on our program. Ed is the founder CEO of fans for the cure. And he is uh, joining us along with uh, another guest to um, as an interesting background to bring to our discussion too. And we have a lot of things to cover in this discussion. Ed, good morning. Uh, good morning, Bob. Uh, great to uh, be with you, and I will be on at 9 o'clock if I can live through this. <laughs> <laughs> subtle, Ed, subtle. Thank you. <laughs> All you, right. said shy. you said shy. So. <laughs> if you would introduce our other guest who is joining us, um, we can get into an interesting discussion here. At our uh uh, at Fans for the Cure, our uh, 501c3 uh, charity, which I established, dedicated to the proposition of spreading the twin gospels of prostate cancer awareness and the life-saving value of early detection, uh, we have a medical advisory board, and we are so pleased and honored to have with us Dr. Daniel Petrolak, who is the uh, who is at the uh, Yale School of Medicine, Bob, the Department of Urology, uh, internationally known for being a very very effective late-stage cancer doctor, uh, joined us a couple of years ago, and uh, we are just blessed to be able to have him on our medical advisory board. Dr. Petrolak, nice to have you join us on our program. Good morning. Good, good morning. Happy Father's Day to you. And happy Father's Day to you as well. Now, the significance of our discussion on Father's Day cannot be understated. Um, Ed and I have talked a little bit about this and even the idea for this program off and on for a couple of months uh, now. Let's talk about some of the, the numbers of where we are with prostate cancer, first of all. What are we talking about in terms of how prostate cancer impacts the lives of men in this country? 
prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in men. And uh, one of the myths about prostate cancer is that you die with it, not from it. It is actually the second leading cause of cancer death in men in the United States. So it's it's a uniform, it, it can be a very, very aggressive and fatal disease in some patients. And I think the real dilemma about this disease is diagnosing it early, trying to find those patients who you can potentially cure early with local treatment, because once the cancer has spread to the bone or to other areas, it is incurable. And when we're talking about the impact from the standpoint of survival, how has that changed or how is that changing? Well, that's, that's a very complex question, and there's been a lot of controversy over the last several years about the use of something called a blood test called prostate-specific antigen, mm-hmm. which is a measure of potential prostate cancer in patients. The problem is, is that prostate-specific antigen can be increased in patients with benign conditions. Just simply, the enlargement of the prostate can elevate it. So having an elevated PSA is not necessarily a diagnosis of prostate cancer, but it leads the medical oncologist, the urologist, to look for that particular problem. And uh, there's a gray zone where you can have an elevated PSA and just simply have benign disease. So this is the dilemma because men, uh, of course, if you diagnose the disease earlier, there's a potential for cure. At the same point, you may be causing a series of tests and other evaluations, which uh, can be uncomfortable for the patient and also can cause other side effects. When we're dealing with some of the myths surrounding prostate cancer, I guess are we getting a a better handle on um, promoting the right kind of awareness? I, I think we are, and I think that PSA has gone through an evolution. A number of years ago, the United States Preventative Task Force gave PSA screening a D evaluation, meaning that it shouldn't be done. And what actually wound up happening is since that that, uh, recommendation, there has been an increase in the number of patients with metastatic disease. So I think that we are actually affecting some uh, good in the past by doing earlier PSA detection. Uh, the question is, does every man need to be treated who has prostate cancer? And we're beginning to learn some of the different ways of sorting that out based upon the characteristics or the molecular characteristics of the tissue, different markers that we potentially can use. So what I think the best, most important thing to remember is that PSA should be evaluated in patients who have high risk in older men um, who... Uh, uh, in, in the situation that uh, it is elevated, they can undergo a biopsy. And then if there is a positive biopsy, that shouldn't cause a discussion between the patient and his physician about what's the best treatment. Should the patient be observed? Should they have a prostatectomy? Should they have more aggressive treatment? The whole idea of diagnosis, um, I guess trying to get that message out and also trying to get that message out to all communities. Is that, I guess, one of your biggest challenges at this point? 
and I guess how also are you trying to tackle that? And I'll put that out to either you or it. Uh, well, well, we're trying to educate the patients as to what uh, what should be done about PSA, the types of questions that should be asked of their physician about what the implications of the test are, and then what should be done if the tests are positive. And I think that the more educated the patient is about the situation, the less fear they have about uh, going undergoing the test, and the more informed decisions they can make about what they should do if that test is positive. Doctor's point about uh, the controversy surrounding the PSA exam, Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, we at the charity are just simply telling men, let's dial that back a little bit for, and and just please talk to your primary care doctor or your urologist about establishing a baseline PSA score. And we suggest that men begin to do that while in their 40s. So what we're saying, and some fancy way of saying, just go to the doctor. <laughs> Which, of course, for many men is one of the last things that they are inclined to do. Um, but, you know, the reality of prostate cancer and, you know, efforts in spreading awareness and efforts in, from organizations like Fans for the Cure, you know, I think you're making a difference in terms of being able to get that message out. What's the significance of also of us having this discussion on Father's Day? Uh, because we want to keep fathers around uh, so they can walk their daughters down the aisle. We want them to be able to celebrate Father's Day indefinitely in the future. We want them to be able to hold their grandchildren uh, when they are born. This is what we're trying to do. Uh, to the doctor's point, there's an almost 99% cure rate if prostate cancer is detected early. And I, for one, can speak from personal experience about the fact that in its earliest stages, prostate cancer has no symptoms. And at the time in which I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, Bob, I was filled with cancer. I had a very high PSA score, and there had been no warning. There had been no warning signs the year before from my doctor. Oh, Ed, we got to keep an eye on this. No, nothing of the kind. You know, the old car commercials go to go, you can go from zero to sixty in three seconds. That that, that was me. Our purpose is to be able to keep families together. We don't want any empty chairs on Father's Day. Mm. When you share your story, Ed, and you know you do that on Talking Baseball on a regular basis as well, um, what does that do for you? I have... Uh, I feel a very personal relationship, and I'm so blessed uh, to be have, to have done the show on the station now for 17 years. That people come to the show. The demographic that is affected by prostate cancer just happens to be, by and large, the demographic that listens to my show. So it, it's a, it's a great audience for me. Uh, I'm probably the only guy in America who stops the show every single week to talk about prostate cancer and the importance of going of going to the doctor because life is precious and when there is an almost 99% cure rate you the question needs to be asked why don't you want to know and i understand about the wiring uh, of men in the dna my goodness you know we established this charity many years ago 
and they're not disposed to go to the doctors. We have rubber bracelets that say fans for the cure on them. They're baby blue, which is a color indigenous to prostate cancer awareness. And on that, it says fans for the cure in pink because we need women to urge their men, their 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 husbands, their boyfriends to uh, please consult with a doctor every single year. The women are the superior species, Bob. Let's let's call it what it is. Mm-hmm. They go to the they go to the doctors like they like it or something, but they go. And men say, "Well, I feel fine." Well, t- we'll talk to Ed Randall about that. He felt fine at the time in which he was diagnosed and filled with cancer. He wasn't getting up out of the bed two, three, four times a night to go to the bathroom. Didn't have any interior pain. Nothing. 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 And that's why I, I when when I went into my two favorite words, Bob, in the English language, in remission, right there with "Merry Christmas" and "Happy Birthday," <laughs> I, I, I said to myself, "You know what?" On the day in which I was diagnosed, to help me God, I felt like I feel talking to you and the doctor and your audience right now. I felt fine. And I said, there could be tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of guys out there like me walking around feeling fine, thinking they were fine when, in fact, they were time bombs. And we got to get to these guys because, again, there's an almost 99% cure rate of prostate cancer detected early, and I'm one of those lucky guys. The voice of Ed Randall, who is a founder, CEO of Fans for the Cure. He'll be along after nine talking baseball. And our other guest is Dr. Daniel Petrolak, and he is talking with us as well about this topic of prostate cancer this Sunday morning. Ed Randall, who is the founder and CEO of Fans for the Cure, and Dr. Daniel Petrolak, who is affiliated with Yale School of Medicine. And they are both joining us on our program. We're talking about the work of Fans for the Cure and talking about this topic of prostate cancer. The organization, Fans for the Cure, Ed and uh, Dr. Petrolak, the response that you're getting, you have gotten, to the organization, the growth of the organization over the years, Ed. Has this surprised you? Uh, no, it hasn't surprised me. What it has, Bob, is it gratified me more, more than anything else. Uh, we established this because we believed there was a need. Uh, that nobody was talking to men. So I have been uh, so happy to see that when I speak about this, uh, both on the air and off, that uh, it does capture the attention of men. And whenever we do prostate cancer seminars, uh, that we we say, please invite the woman in your life to uh, to join us to listen to all all of this because the statistics, as the doctor outlined uh, a few minutes ago, are are daunting. There's going to be more than a hundred and fifty thousand prostate cancer diagnoses in this calendar year. Imagine that. Wow. That means for a baseball guy like me, that means Yankee Stadium three Yankee stadiums, Hmm. every single seat filled with a man that will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I'm grateful to say that from the time in which I was diagnosed to now, because of the great work of of, of the doctor, uh, the percentage of those that that are dying from prostate cancer has dropped by about a third. 
Yeah, I, I just want to add to that. In 1994, nearly 36,000 men died from prostate cancer in the United States. That number is estimated to be about 27,000 this year. So clearly, the earlier detection of the disease is one of those particular factors that is leading to that reduction in the death rate. And this earlier detection of the disease, getting that message out and getting screenings taking place in um, African-American communities, communities of people of color. What's that effort been like? It's a, uh, an effort that needs uh, more attention. Uh, it is something that we are focusing on uh, at Fans for the Cure because uh, there is an African-American man, Bob, uh, is se- uh, our last statistics were 74% more likely to receive a prostate cancer diagnosis when tested than a white man. That, that's really something. And a high percentage of those diagnoses are aggressive cases. Uh, and that's reflected in a, in a mortality rate. Uh, for blacks is two and a half times that of uh, white men and nearly five times that of Asian-American men. Uh, we have to get into the black community, and I'm grateful to tell you that we have begun doing that. Uh, we partnered with uh, the Vanderveer Park Methodist Church in Brooklyn, a very influential institution in Midwood, uh, at the end of March to conduct a free prostate cancer screening in uh, at the church uh and uh, we're going to be doing the same thing at grace baptist church up in mount vernon uh in uh, early october we want to get to every 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 african-american church in this country uh to tell to bring our message to them uh one of the other gathering places in the african-american community are the barber shops well, guess what? We we want to get to the barber shops as well, where they have AV systems, and we can run videos there that simply explain to the men: please take possession of your health. This is truly uh, life and death, and, and you need to do this. And and what we hope to come out of this in this hour is how preventable it is. Uh, so those are the two institutions, uh, and we're looking for others, where we can get into the African-American community. We're, ta- we're talking one in four black guys. We're talking uh, among Afro-Caribbean men, where there's a large Afro-Caribbean population, say, in, in Jamaica, in Queens, one in three, where the life expectancy, and, and the doctor can back me up on this, is now beneath 60 years old. Can you imagine? Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting that Ed points this out. I think that there's one very, very important factor uh, about a pro- or difference about prostate cancer in African-American men. So we've actually looked at the treatments once they do have their cancer spread. And it's almost a, contra- a contradiction, but African-Americans do better with newer types of hormone therapy, with newer types of chemotherapy. So there's something that's different about this. And we're trying at Yale uh, to uh, uh, bring the African-American community, or at least bring this message to them, that once they are treated or once they have this particular problem, that they actually do better with some of the newer forms of treatment. 
And clearly, we don't want to deny anybody an opportunity uh, for an improved quality of life and an improved extension of life. Uh, if they, and I think it's important to get that message out to, to these individuals. The leading research that is taking place on prostate cancer, where is that? The leading research is all over the country at uh, major centers across the United States. They're collaborative efforts. Uh, fans of the Cure is now beginning to support some of that research. Um, at Yale, we're looking at novel drugs. In fact, we just opened up a trial of a drug that uh, basically obliterates one of the targets in prostate cancer, and we're treating some of our first patients right now. So all different institutions across the country, it's a collaborative effort uh, to try to understand the biology and to develop new drugs. Mm. And when you're looking at that, I mean, we very often hear with um, research efforts, often the big hindrance is money, funding. Is that the same? Uh, it's, it's actually significantly increased uh, since, the, since this problem first was really uh, attacked in the early 1990s. Only about, 20, about $10 million was being spent at that particular time in prostate cancer research. And that has increased significantly through awareness, through individuals uh, telling their congressmen, telling their political representatives that we need to solve this particular problem. And also a lot of prominent individuals across the United States have contributed to that uh, effort. So I think that that's really been an important uh, event, the awareness of the disease and the awareness of the devastation of this disease. I didn't ask you guys about um, the event. Now, you just had an event on Tuesday night of this past week, on the 11th? Yes, right. We had our, uh, we had our third annual gala in Manhattan, yes. What was that like? Uh, the most successful event in the history of the charity, and uh, we honored uh, Phil Sims, which uh, uh, I'm the quintessential baseball guy. I opened up the program and said, probably you're wondering why a baseball boy here is honoring one of the football legends. <laughs> and, and, and it turns out that at our last gala, we, were, we honored Harry Carson, a Hall of Fame teammate of Phil's. And Phil calls me two days before the uh, gala and goes, um, I can't make it because of a medical situation, but tell Harry I love him, and I want you to know that the next time you have a gala, I'm going to help sell it out. And so that's how we came to uh, honor, Phil, honor Phil, and it was a vastly successful event. We also honored a dear friend of uh, Dr. Petrolak, uh, who, and it is through him that I met Dr. Petrolak, and that's Dr. James McKiernan, who's the chair of the urology department at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, and we also honored Dr. Uh, we also honored Joseph Abood, the internationally noted fashion designer who has done a lot of work uh, in the cancer community and who lost his dad to prostate cancer. So we had a, uh, a a huge crowd and a very successful night. Once again, it's congratulations uh, on that and also on that being the most successful night uh, for the organization uh, in its history too. I guess. Where are we headed with prostate cancer? I, I, we're headed with, I think, in several different areas. Number one, early detection, identifying those patients who clearly need treatment. But we're also moving forward in developing newer treatments once a patient has progressed. I mean, clearly, we don't want to get to that area. 
But there are some patients who, despite the fact that you're screening them, despite the fact that you're looking carefully for early disease, they develop very, very rapidly progressive disease. And we're understanding more about the genetics. In fact, one of the important things that's been noted over the last couple of years is there's a uh, DNA repair mechanism called BRCA, and that predisposes women to breast and ovarian cancer. That's actually present in about 10% of men with advanced prostate cancer. And if it's seen in somebody who has early disease, that usually portends a more aggressive course. So we're learning more about the genetics and the different targets that we can use to potentially treat and cure this disease. And as you do that, um, I guess the other aspect of this becomes what's kind of on your wish list? What's on my wish list is a drug or a series of treatments that will cure this disease mm. and make it go away completely and, of course, obviously detect it, but also to avoid the side effects that we're seeing with patients who are treated with hormones for prostate cancer. You know, those can be uh, significant, including weight gain and loss of sexual function. So we want treatments that will help the patient live longer and live better. Ed, what's on your wish list? Uh, I tour uh, spring training camps, Bob, and uh, I uh, tell the players, and it's the entire organizations that stop uh, to give me the time to be able to talk to them early in the morning. And I tell them, I'm, I'm the only CEO you're ever going to meet who hopes to go out of business. <laughs> and, they, and they go laugh. I, I, and I say, until that time, I will be the car alarm that you cannot turn off. Now, there's something that those listening in the New York area can identify with, the car alarm you can't turn off, uh, because this is a disease that can be identified and cured in its early stages, and we can go on now with more than 3 million men uh, living in this country having survived prostate cancer. That's a pretty significant number. But it, it, my, my wish list is zero tolerance, that we don't have uh, in excess of 25,000 men who will die of prostate cancer in the calendar year 2019. Maybe that's unrealistic, but that is, that is my wish list, that nobody should die needlessly from prostate cancer. If I, if I may, Bob, I just want to tell you a quick story. I, I was uh, invited to come out to Cleveland. Uh, to work with the Cleveland uh, Clinic uh, and to speak to the Cleveland Housing Authority uh, seminar, which was all African-American men. And knowing how prevalent the disease is in the African-American community, I, I walk into the room and it, it's entirely African-American men, and I'm like, great, this is terrific. This is going to be my audience. I love this. <laughs> and, I, and I go in and I say, how many Cavaliers fans we got in the house? And, of course, most all hands go up. And I say, well, uh, you know, there was a guy who was drafted in the first round of the NBA draft in 1986. There was a time when I covered all the sports, and I, and I covered that draft. And the Cleveland Cavaliers selected a power forward out of uh, LSU named John Hot Rod Williams. <laughs> and I, I said, how many Cavaliers fans the hands go up? I said, how many people remember Hot, Hot Rod Williams? Hands go up again. You're, you're a terrific player. 
Well, I'm the last guy reading newspapers, Bob, and I read five newspapers a day, and I read all, all sections in the newspaper, and I read the obituaries. And there in the New York Times, uh, prior to my having gone to Cleveland, was an obituary of John Hotrod Williams mm-hmm. at 54 years old. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said to the, uh, to the guys, uh, I'm going to bet my life this guy never went to the doctor's. Because I believe when I when I read in the paper that a man has died of prostate cancer, I, forgive me for being uh, so cynical. I believe that it's a suicide. That this guy could not have possibly gone to the doctors, because had he, he wouldn't be in the newspaper. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a really really important point. But I think also too we should remember that because of we have to look at physiological age rather than chronological age. And men are living longer and they're living better into the 80s and the 90s. And just as from a personal note, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer more than 20 years ago in his 70s. He's doing great. And my argument now with him at age 90 is whether he should be shoveling snow or not. <laughs> so, and, and I just want to give him a shout-out this morning and uh, wish him a happy Father's Day, and I'll be seeing him later today. Excellent. That's great. Well, happy Father's Day to all the folks listening to us. We'll continue in our discussion with uh, Ed Randall and Dr. Daniel Petrolak in moments here on The Fan. This is Bob Salter. We are in a discussion talking about this topic of prostate cancer and prostate cancer awareness, appropriately enough, on Father's Day with Ed Randall, who's the founder, CEO of Fans for the Cure. Also, yes, he'll be along after nine talking baseball here on The Fan. And also our other guest who has joined us is Dr. Daniel Petrolak. He is affiliated with Yale School of Medicine and shared an awful lot with us thus far in our discussion one of the things I wanted to uh, mention, too, is the website for Fans for the Cure is Fans, the numeral for the cure. So it's fansforthecure.org. There's a wealth of information on that site. Let's talk about one of the things that always comes up in discussions like this, though. And that is the question of exactly when one should get tested for prostate cancer. Does that vary depending on one's background? Yes, and uh, the doctor can speak uh, The doctor can speak best, best to that. It's uh, fam- family history um, and ethnicity. Uh, these are uh, two of the factors, and uh, the doctor can speak best to that. Yeah, the exact age is controversial. There's some who say that if you have African-American ancestry or family history, that you should start being screened at age 45. There are others who recommend this at age 50. So it's not really clear what the exact age uh, that these these particular tests should uh, start. We at the charity say 45, Bob, with a history of prostate cancer in the family, 50 thereafter. Uh, I was diagnosed at 47. And uh, I don't know if I did have a family history, but back then nobody was talking about it, right? And in addition to which, I lost my father when I was 10 years old, so I would have no way, no way of, of knowing. But I was 47 years old, and on the day in which I was officially diagnosed, 
my doctor said to me, you know, you're here 10 years ahead of schedule. And I thought, wow, I must be some sort of super achiever. Thank you very much for that. But I wish that I weren't here. And uh, but we're saying 45 for those with no with with a history of cancer in the family and 50 years old, they should consult with their doctors. Yeah, Ed is bringing up a really really good point as well, and how the disease has shifted because of PSA. When I first started training in the 1980s, we had the majority of patients being diagnosed at that time with metastatic disease. That's actually changed and flipped in the other direction. So we're seeing fewer patients initially diagnosed with metastatic disease, more with the localized disease. And so that, that's actually a, been a big change because of PSA screening. And when we're talking about the idea of screening, I'm sure the question often comes up um, of... Somebody who says, you know, a, a family member, it could be a father, had or has prostate cancer. Does that mean that I have a high likelihood of being susceptible to this? Yeah, I, mean, I, it, it, okay. I can tell you from personal experience, I did a prostate cancer seminar a few years ago down at uh, uh, in southern New Jersey, Bob, at 100 in Hospital with Ken Griffey Sr. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now, the son is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ken Griffey Sr. had a really terrific baseball career. Well, on that night, uh, Ken Griffey, himself a prostate cancer survivor, disclosed that he lost four uncles to prostate cancer. Four uncles to wow. prostate cancer. And he knows that his having had prostate cancer doubles Ken Griffey Jr.'s chances of one day getting it. Doctor? I've actually had several father and son combinations of both having prostate cancer. Uh, One uh, son, uh, father was thinking in the 70s, and he was prompted to have a uh, PSA based upon that, and uh, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer as well, and both of them were my patients. So we see these particular issues. We see more of a familial tendency. As I mentioned before, now we have to start thinking about this gene called BRCA because if a relative, uh, mother, aunt, sister, develops breast cancer and they have this gene, the patient with prostate cancer uh, also has a higher susceptibility. So, uh, So I think that we have to look at the family history not only for prostate cancer but for other tumors as well. And when we're talking about this idea of detection, one of the things we did not do uh, in this discussion, and you know, this goes back to a very key point that was raised about men and this reluctance to go to the doctor. Let's talk as basically as possible here. What actually is involved in the screening for prostate cancer? So for the screening, it involves a blood test, which is PSA, and it also involves a digital rectal exam, which, of course, is not the most comfortable exam to have, uh, but it's over with fairly quickly, and uh, this will help detect a gross lesion that may be within the prostate. But usually those are the two easiest ways to screen for prostate cancer. Well, you know, the, the other thing, too, is, and, and, and I, I, I'm going to say this, because I think it needs to be said. This idea of this digital rectal exam, and, and nobody likes to think about that. 
men don't like to go through it. But the reality is this doesn't last for 10 minutes. You know, no. this is this is something that is relatively quick. Exactly. 10, ten seconds. Yeah. Right. 10 seconds. So, again, this is not something to be, you know, scared of, of doing. This is something that actually could wind up saving your life. And that's the way it should be viewed. And if I could inject something from personal experience, Bob, uh, I'm friends with the uh, owner of the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, who lives not too far from me. And uh, many years ago, I'll make a very long story short, uh, he permitted the charity to conduct a free prostate cancer screening for his fans in his ballpark in Tampa. And we did it while the, while the team was away. Uh, actually, the first time we did it, we were outdoors. Uh, and it was August. And it was 86 degrees, and I and we and 317 men showed up. It's a it's a much longer story, and it's a very funny story. But 317 men showed up, and I shook every hand. And it's 86 degrees under the hot Florida sun, and I said, "Isn't it ironic that as we wait here to be screened for prostate cancer, we're all going to get skin cancer?" <laughs> We screened 317 men, and then I went to the uh, to Stu Sternberg, and I said, "Would it be possible that we could do it indoors?" And the following year, we do it indoors. So uh, 7 a.m. Uh, oh, and you got to incentivize them, Bob. <laughs> They're not just going to show up. So so Stu Sternberg had made arrangements that uh, each man that showed up got two tickets, free tickets to a game. Nice. Now, what's your excuse to not go? So uh, a, midway through the midway through the day, uh, and we're open from like 7 a.m. to. Uh, like 3, p- 3 p.m., and it happened to be the day in which Mark Burley, the team was away playing a day game in Chicago, it happened to be the day that Mark Burley's throwing a perfect game against the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> so all these guys are online and they're groaning. And so uh, midway through the day, a guy comes up to me, and puts his arms around me, and says, Ed Randall, you saved my life. And I'm like, really? And he goes, I was here last year, and... I, I came up to you after I had taken my blood test and said, should I take the digital rectal exam? And, and, and you said to me, yes, you're already here. You might as well do it. Uh, I, he took the digital rectal exam, and for some reason, the PSA didn't pick up his prostate cancer, but the digital rectal exam did. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was just flabbergasted that that had happened and so grateful that he came forward and, and told us, and we used him. Uh, we, I, I spent seven years in minor league baseball, and boy, there's a, a ready audience for us. And so we are about to begin our 13th year of what we call our baseball road trip. We've been in more than a 1,000 ballparks over 12 years handing out our material. And Chuck Haynes and, and his then-grandchild, young grandchild Sophia, were on our posters uh, talking about the importance of getting screened. And now she is uh, a, a teenager, and we are so grateful to have him as one, of our, as one of our disciples. But in that particular case, the digital rectal exam was truly a case of life and death. Wow. Yes. Not, not every prostate cancer makes PSA. And in fact, some of the more aggressive prostate cancers make less PSA per cancer cell than the uh, the less aggressive tumors. So uh, you really have to look at trends, and sometimes you'll have trends within the normal zone that would indicate a biopsy. So it's something that, again, careful observation and discussion with your doctor are important in the situation. Mm. And when you talk about treatment for those who are 
diagnosed. Are we seeing, are there advances being made in treatment? In early disease, we have many different options, including taking the prostate out or a prostatectomy, radiation therapy, uh, and then we know that about two-thirds of those patients are cured initially with local disease, and once the local treatment's done, we have to watch these patients. So, uh, so it's important to note that, that for early disease, we have good treatments, and we're now developing newer treatments that are targeting the cancer cells uh, more effectively for the late-stage disease. And the doctors are also, Bob, uh, recommending active surveillance, watchful waiting, uh, just to see if, in fact, the disease develops or not. Hmm. It's amazing the uh, advances that literally are being made. Um, talking with Ed Randall, who's founder, CEO of Fans for the Cure. Fans, the numeral for the cure. So it's F A N S for the cure. All is one word, dot org website. Uh, Dr. Daniel Petrolak, who is affiliated with Yale School of Medicine and with Fans for the Cure, um, talking with us on our program. When you look to the future, both of you, optimistic? Extremely optimistic. At this time, this is a very, very important time for cancer research. We're understanding more about how cancer cells grow, how we can attack them, how we can kill them with minimizing side effects on patients. And... uh, this, I think, has to be emphasized to the public that all the research that they've been paying for through funding from the federal government, for donating to foundations such as Fans for the Cure and, and other organizations such as the Prostate Cancer Foundation, that this is now benefiting them. And I think the future is extremely bright for this disease. Ed? Uh, Bob, uh, look, at Fans for the Cure, we help men recognize uh, the risks of prostate cancer and uh, the immense value of early detection in, in, in to extend and, and, and truly save their li- and, and truly save their lives. So we we coordinate PSA screenings and and we sponsor medical seminars and we offer physician and hospital referrals. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've gotten phone calls and I've called Dr. Petrilak uh, from somebody uh, outside the tri-state metropolitan area. Uh, saying uh, something may be happening, can you recommend a first-class guy? And, and Dr. Petrolek has been there for me. Uh, and, of course, we're providing educational materials. Uh, I, I am very optimistic about the future, but uh, we, just need to, we just need men to recognize the risks of prostate cancer and how preventable it is that there's an almost 99% cure rate of prostate cancer is detected early, and who in baseball wouldn't want to hit 990? <laughs> That's Ed Randall, who is founder and CEO of Fans for the Cure. He'll be along after our 9 o'clock update with Talking Baseball. And also Dr. Daniel Petrolak, who's affiliated with Yale School of Medicine and with Fans for the Cure. Thank you both, gentlemen, for joining us on our program. Certainly happy Father's Day. And Ed, be careful getting in here, too. Thank you. And Bob, uh, bless you for allowing us to have this much time to be able to talk about such an important subject. Thank you so very much for this opportunity. Thank you. Well, Rick Wolf has literally 
managed to make his way in. He didn't get confused and go back to bed, thinking his show was already done when he heard Ed Randall. He's here. Continue this Father's Day Murderer's Row lineup on WFAN. Have a great day, everybody. And again, happy Father's Day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.